Hi, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message. Today I want to continue our message series in the book of James. I want to talk to you about faith at work in our relationships. Say that with me. Faith at work in our relationships. Um, Kelly and I, when she graduated from college, uh, maybe the day after graduation, we packed up everything that we had. Um, I resigned my job on staff at a really great church in Tennessee. And we packed up into the smallest little U-Haul you can get because you really can't fit a lot of things into a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, we packed up and we moved to Chicago, to inner city Chicago, and we started a church. We had 14 of our friends move with us, mostly all just recently graduated college or seminary students, and uh, we all went and got jobs. Um, we moved in at midnight, and on that next morning, Kelly went down the street to uh, small world childcare. She got a job, and I went down to TGI Fridays, and I got a job. And uh, I wasn't waiting for the job of my dreams. I was waiting for a job that would pay the rent. And we got to Chicago. We had $500 in our pocket. And we got a little one-bedroom apartment right on the blue line in uh, Chicago. It was, uh, when I say it was right on the blue line, listen, when the train would go by, occasionally the pictures would fall off the wall. And we went. We were excited. We were really excited. Um, God really did some wonderful things. Uh, during that time, our ministry, we were, we were just going after it. Uh, I think I was a 25-year-old pastor, and Kelly was 21, and we didn't know what we were doing, but we had, uh, you know, we had an idea. We went for it. Um, but in the process, we weren't just pastoring. We were married. We were one year into our marriage, and the first year was incredible. We had no TV. Um, we had no nothing. I had a, a gray Honda Accord. Um, that I drove. I had a, also had a 63 Cadillac Fleetwood that, uh, that, that was the baddest car ever. I mean, it was 23 and a half foot long. I could hardly go over speed bumps. I had to go over them sideways. White walls, had wheel covers on the back, had the Batman wings. I picked Kelly up for that in our first date, by the way. And I polished the seat up really good so that when I would take a good right turn, she would slide right next to me. It was, I, ha- I had it down. And that first year was incredible. It was incredible. I don't think we had a single argument. Uh, we would get in that little gray car. Actually, I sold the, the Cadillac to, to pay off some student loans um, and, and to get our marriage started. So we were driving around that silver Honda Accord, more Bondo than it had steel on that car. Uh, if it rained, I put on the brakes. The uh, water would come from the trunk into the front of the car. Um, it was awesome, though. It was awesome. Our first year of marriage was amazing. We moved to Chicago, and everything changed. It was a new environment for us. There was stress. Suddenly the realization of having to work and make a living and pay for my wife. I, 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 I didn't pay for my wife. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to get, keep the lights on and, you know, make sure that, you know, mama was happy. And, and we, we didn't have a whole lot. We had, we had just dreams and, and we were enjoying each other. But when the stress of realizing I had to take care of a family and 
uh, keep us fed and pay for insurance and deal with Chicago. I was not ready for Chicago. Chicago was another world altogether. And we got up there and, and then I realized I didn't know how in the world to even have a conversation with my wife. You know, Kelly and I are the most identical people you could find, but we could not be more different than one another. I mean, we're pastor's kids. We're both firstborn. We're both alphas. We're both type A. We're both to take, used to taking care of people and, and, and handling things and having initiative. And that's really great until you're trying to get along and both of you are trying to be in charge. And, you know, we come from different kinds of families. Our families are different. I'm from the south. She's from the north. I just didn't understand what was going on. I mean, I'll just be honest. I didn't have any sisters. I didn't know what she was talking about. I didn't understand what she was thinking. I didn't understand when she was happy and when she, when she, when she is disappointed or if she'd have a problem, I'd just immediately try and fix it. And then she didn't feel like I was listening to her. You know what I'm saying? This is not a new story. Is anybody say, pastor, I feel you. I'm praying for you right now even. I remember having these discussions. You know, on top of that, you know, these 14 people move with this. One of, somebody, there was a 15th person. They just called me up as they were coming into town and said, hey, I'm moving up there. I don't have a place. Can I stay with you? I'm like, oh, dear Jesus. He moved in with us for a little bit. It, it was crazy. And so we'd have these discussions, and I felt like I had to learn a new language. You know, men are different than women. You understand that, right? I mean, like, we're very different. It's not just in our biology, our physiology. It's in our psychology, too. I mean, it's just a different world, and I didn't have any sisters, so I was just had the training wheels on trying to figure this thing out. I can't tell you how many times in Chicago I'd walk down the third or fourth story of that brownstone walk-up apartment, and I would just go for a walk. And on that walk, I just have a talk to Jesus. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with this lady. I don't know what's going on. I just didn't, we were, we loved each other. We were committed to one another. We loved Jesus. But let me tell you, marriage takes some work in the best of circumstances. If you don't want conflict, don't get married. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> you know, it, it was to the point that somewhere around that second or third year, maybe fourth year, Kelly and I came up with a rule that we don't talk about anything stressful on Sunday mornings because there's nothing like coming up here and trying to preach a word after you just had an argument with your spouse. So we would take these walks. I would take, I would take these walks and try and figure things out. Here's the thing. In life, you're going to have conflict. And conflict doesn't mean that people are bad people. It just means that two people are around one another. The truth is, some of you are having conflict with yourself. You make a decision, as soon as you make the decision, you second-guess the decision. People are in conflict all the time. And so, unfortunately, a lot of us are also conflict avoiders. And so the conflict is going on, and we don't really want to talk about it. We don't want to face it. It just kind of is happening out there, and we're not addressing it. We're pretending it's not there. And uh, then there are others that, you know, if there's no conflict, you don't feel comfortable, and you'll go make some of your own conflict. Look, we're just all different. And conflict is a part of life. James chapter 4 addresses and asks a question about why we're having conflict and then goes on into uh, some of the reasons today. Before I read uh, James chapter 4, I would like to let you know that we don't have to resolve all conflict in the world. But when we do resolve conflict, we need to do it well. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I, I want you to get into the middle of conflict. Uh, don't leave things that need to be addressed unaddressed. But you don't have to solve everything. But when you do engage, you need to do it in a way that honors people, it honors yourself, and it honors the Lord. And so with that being said, I want us to go to James chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible starts, James starts by asking this question at the beginning of this chapter. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What is causing it? And so he asks the question, and then he lays into um, the church uh, for, what's, for you know, what they're dealing with. And so I want to talk to you about that, about what's causing conflict. I want to give you a few causes uh, for conflict. Number one, I'm just going to touch on these three and then we'll unpack them. Number one, one of the things that causes conflict is when people are just people. You know, conflict when people are just people. You, you know, you really can't, you really can't help it. Um, you really don't understand it. Nobody did anything wrong. It just, it just simply happens. Nobody sinned. Nobody sinned. There's no boogeyman. Nobody's out to get you. Just when people are people. Secondly, Conflict is caused when you've been sinned against. When you've been sinned against. And then thirdly, conflict is caused when you're dealing with your own sin or your own relational shortcomings. So there's no reason, just people. Uh, there's somebody has done something to you and then there's you've done something to someone else. Um, maybe it's sin, maybe it's not sin. Uh, just because conflict exists does not mean that someone has, has sinned. So first I want to talk about when people are people. We're going to get to James 4. We'll be reading through the first 10 verses, but I would like to talk to you about the conflict that's caused <clears throat> when people are just people. And let me say this right off the bat. People are not the enemy. The enemy of your soul is the enemy. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. I want you to think about this, or let me say it a different way. Don't hate the player, hate the game. You know, don't, don't be ticked off at people because they're functioning in relational environments that are absolutely predictable with how people will respond or will want to respond. And we can walk around after everything that happens to us saying, why did you do this? Or we can understand that there are some things that are just going to cause relational conflict and we don't have to go around dropping nuclear bombs in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our church, in our neighborhood all the time because somebody unsettles us. Maybe what we can begin to do is understand that people, hey, they're just people and we can navigate, we can navigate through that. Husband, wife, neighbor, political adversary, um, the person sitting on your row, the people that are around you, these are not enemies. These are the targets of God's affection. I want you to hear me that God loves you and God loves your neighbor. 
And that doesn't mean that you have to pretend like everything is okay all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when you're in the middle of conflict, I don't want you to see that person as the problem. I want you to see them as someone that's created in the image of God that God loves and you're asking God to give you the relational skills to be able to navigate the conflict so that you can resolve the conflict and bless that person and be blessed yourself and honor the Lord. Amen? So it just is, man. Jesus loves people. The people, the player, the person, that is the mission. They are the mission. God loved people so much that he gave Jesus to die for them, yet we can't love people enough to navigate a little bit of conflict. Yeah, I know, I know somebody put a dent in your car. You going rage monster on YouTube doesn't take the dent out of the car. It doesn't take the sting out of your ego. How we deal with these things will not only make a difference to the conflict, but it will also make, it may make a difference in the eternity for that person. So people, Jesus loves them. Your neighbor matters. Your coworker matters. The church of Jesus Christ matters. Everybody everywhere matters to the Lord. And so let's approach conflict understanding that we want to resolve the conflict and we want to take care of people in the process. And we want to do so in a way that we don't have to avoid the conflict, but we want to allow the gospel to redeem our relationships as we navigate through challenging times. We are not fighting people, we're fighting a spiritual battle and just a human being battle. Just because there's conflict does not mean that there is a demonic thing going on, some kind of evil, wicked thing. Listen, Kelly didn't do anything wrong in our second year of marriage, and I didn't do anything wrong. We just are two people coming from two different worlds. I've told you before, dinner at our house you tell a story, it doesn't matter how long and boring the story is, you hold the floor until you're done. In Kelly's house, if you took a breath, somebody was allowed to cut you off and move on. If your story wasn't riveting enough or you weren't dominant enough, it's just too bad. Was that a sin issue? No, it's just two families coming together. Now, I'm probably the only one that's ever experienced that. Anybody else experience that today? Okay people are people. That's one of the causes. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So your conflict is because of people. <clears throat> your goal is to solve the conflict while blessing people and while honoring the Lord. Secondly, second cause is when you've been sinned against. When you've been sinned against. Now this might cause conflict, and let me say, you're gonna be sinned against, and not every time that you're sinned against do you have to go deal with it. There's sometimes you don't need to say anything. Even the scriptures let us know that love is not self-seeking, it's not puffed up. Actually, 1 Corinthians 13, it says that uh, love will even overlook wrongs. 
Scripture has to say that a lot of things. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And so there are some things that you can see that you don't have to address all the time. But when you've been sinned against and it causes conflict to the point that you need to address it, then Scripture is not silent on that either. Scripture is actually very clear on how to engage this. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Track along with me. I'm reading the New Living Translation. The Bible says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. 2022 version of that is, if another believer sins against you, immediately put them on blast on social media. <laughs> now go privately. Go privately to them. Point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you will have won the person back. And, and this is important because the relationship is greater than the event. And let me just tell you right now, if the only people that you can walk with and do life with and be in relationship with are the people that never hurt you and always agree with you, you better be prepared to be a lonely person. Not only that, nobody's gonna wanna do anything to you. Perfection is not possible in your relationship, but we are moving towards perfection and as we go, the Lord is giving us progress. This is why we say repeatedly here, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm also not who I'm gonna be. Is there anyone here today that says you're not the same you as you were 10 years ago? Has God helped you? Is there anybody that the Lord has helped? Is there anybody, who's the greatest sinner in this house? Right? Paul says, I'm the chief among them. Thank God for God that he redeems and re he restores and he doesn't throw us away when we mess up. Now, we can turn our backs on the Lord, but let me tell you, God is pursuing us, and he's not done with us, and he, he not only wants to save us, but he also wants to make us effective so that we can live an abundant life and have joy today in our relationships, in our work, in everything that we do for his glory. So you will have won that person back. You, you're going to have a treasured relationship. Some of my best friends in the world have hurt my feelings, made my chin quiver a little bit, you know? made my eyes a little bit humid. I couldn't believe they said that or did that. You, have you ever done that to somebody? Go privately. You go privately and you honor them and you don't embarrass them, maybe even though you were embarrassed by something that they did. You go to them and you honor them. You create a space of honor, an environment of honor where people can be honest and open and, and, and be open to the soft truth about themselves and then you resolve this thing. They may not have even known that they did something wrong. But because you went to them, maybe you advanced their walk with Christ in your relationship with them or maybe you go to them and you find out that that's actually not what they said. You know how many times I've heard somebody, church people say, well, I can't believe they looked at me like that. Let me tell you a secret about what people think about you. Nothing. Nobody's thinking about you. <laughs> I just don't know what they think. They, nobody is sitting around wondering how you're doing today or wondering why you're dressed like you are. Nobody's doing You know what people are thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. Is that because they're self-absorbed? No, it's because they're in their own skin behind their own eyes and living in their own world. And that doesn't mean they don't love you, but people are just caught up in handling their own business. And so when we go privately to them, we have the advanced, opportunity to advance a relationship. And then also, 
to have a better understanding of actually what happened. So maybe what we could do is when we go to our spouse or to our friends or our fellow believers or to our neighbor, to our political leaders, we could start by treating them with good faith and giving them the benefit of the doubt and approaching them without accusation and instead approach them honestly and with the opportunity to find understanding so that the Lord be glorified. But hey, verse 16, I sounded like Uncle Si right there. Did you hear that? But hey, (laughs) but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person, now you don't roll in there like I just told Pastor Adam to come in with the boys to bust things up. You come in with brothers that are wise or sisters who are wise, uh, understanding and you know, wise counsel, people that are trustworthy and will make people feel safe and try and lead some resolution there. Maybe in the middle of that, you find out that this person doesn't want to uh, make their wrong. It's not just they hurt your feelings, but this is sin. They have sinned and they don't want to repent for their sin. They, they know they did something wrong or they, they refuse to believe they didn't, which means they're then rejecting the word of God, which means they're in rebellion to God. They're doing that. Now you have some brothers, some wise counsel that can then say, you know what, this thing is established in our hearts. This person has been wrong. This is not right what happened. They, you built something for them. They cheated you out of money or the, they stole your vehicle or they, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to handle that stuff, but you, you know, they, they wrote something about you that was wrong and you know, we want to get this right. And then there's a prescription in the church for how to handle that. And verse 17 says, if the person's just really hard-headed about it and still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Now, we're not doing that on Sunday morning, Okay. There's not like a segment in the service where everybody comes up with their beef. Hey, you want a beef? You got a beef? No, I don't want a beef jerky. You know, no. Um, you got a problem? No, we're not sharing that here. But there's a process for dealing with brothers and sisters like that. Now, this is very rare. It's very rare. But Scripture lays this out and how this should be done. And then... If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I just like how he throws the IRS in there. We're very appreciative for that. So here in that passage, the four steps to resolving conflict caused by sin that came against you. Number one, go to the person privately. Number two, bring the brother uh, discreetly, uh, bring a brother discreetly and relationally to talk to them. Number three, resolve it more broadly. And number four, consider that this person actually is not a brother in Christ and resolve it legally. The problem was Christians that James was talking to, they were settling their brotherly disputes in court, suing one another back and forth and skipping private conversations. And res- It's embarrassing. But if you've gone through all of these things, then what do you do? Then you deal with it as if they are not even saved. And so they cheated you out of money, put a lien on their house. Go, you know what I'm saying? Let, let me just put a disclaimer in here. Because I, there, there are a lot of things we could talk about, but I do want to talk about this. Listen, if someone is abusive towards you, let me, you, you want to hear the one step for that one. If someone is abusive towards your children, can I give you the one step for that? Anybody want to hear this? Are you sure? Call the police. Call the police and throw their butts in jail. 
Then call the church and we'll go down and do our prison ministry. We'll visit them. <laughs> we'll love on them because we still love them. We just don't want anybody getting slapped around, beat up and thrown off in a ditch somewhere, mistreated. That's not right. And, you know, we could unpack that in the scriptures, but that's how you deal with sin that's happened against you. Thirdly, here's the last cause of conflict about when you're dealing with your own sin and relational drama. Here's what I want you to, to know. When you're, when you're dealing with your own sin, your own relational shortcomings, and we're going to do this in James chapter 4. This is where we're going to read, and we'll start aiming towards closing this message down. But as we do, I want you to know that this is the really hard stuff here because this deals with things you can't always put a finger on. It's stuff that's in your heart that nobody can see. You can be the most moral people on the exterior, but on the inside be just a stew of drama going on. And there's sin. You understand that all of us battle sin. And don't stop battling it. If you stop battling it, it won't stop battling you. And so you gotta take the fight to your old man who you buried in Christ Jesus. You were resurrected new. You gotta fight that old man. You have buried him. You have crucified the flesh. Your life is a living sacrifice. You put your old flesh on the altar. That living sacrifice, the heat gets turned up and then you wanna crawl off. You wanna go back to your old ways. Be battling that thing. One of the great sayings of one, one of the great church leaders, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. James says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Pause. Paul says later, he says, the things I want to do. He says, my flesh my spirit is willing, my flesh is weak. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Listen, James is saying the same thing. There are, there's a war inside of you. And you better keep going after God. The, the more you feed your spirit, the more the spirit of God is going to win in your life. But the more that you feed your flesh, the more your flesh is going to, listen, crucify the flesh. Give God your heart. Let it be, be tender. You know, as we get older, we ought not to get meaner. We ought to get more tender before the Lord. Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage a war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So what he's saying is you're using worldly means to get spiritual results. If you would just use spiritual means and spiritual vehicles and spiritual tools and a spiritual mind, then God would give you the desires of your heart as you seek the Lord. If you'd seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things would be added to you. But so many of us, we don't seek the kingdom of God in the way that we live and we want all of the things. No, it's not second things first. It's first things first. And if we get Jesus, we'll get everything that we need even if we don't get one more thing. But if we get everything in the world, then the scripture would tell us, what is a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does it matter if you get that house or that promotion or that status or that influence, but you don't get Jesus? Even when you do ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. Man, James goes strong right here. You adulterers. 
I'm going to start walking in the church talking to y'all like that. (laughs) Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash you, your hands, you sinners. Pathway Church, I hope you hear it from me all the time. I hope it never gets old. I I hope there's never a day when you say, "I, I, I wish pastor wouldn't say that. Listen, Pathway Church, stop sinning. Love Jesus. Love Jesus and stop sinning. Turn from your wicked ways. Seek God's face. Humble yourselves to the Lord. Pray and God will open up the windows of heaven. He will hear our prayer. He will heal our land. God will work in our lives if we don't oppose him. If we cooperate with what he's trying to do in our lives. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. I thank God for all the joy we have in church. You know, if it's up to me, I'd have all the happy music playing all the time. But you know what? There ought to be more tears in the church. You can I just be honest? I just take a little bit just to be honest and vent a little bit. I love that we're online. I love that we're streaming. I love all that. But sometimes I wish these cameras weren't here so I could just talk to the church without somebody out there hearing what I'm saying. Listen, the church ought to be in a posture of repentance. We ought to be in a posture of sorrow for what we've done to the Lord. But we're just like free And feeling good, listen, we oppose God. And God wants to make us right. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. And gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves. And he will lift you up in honor. Can we just thank the Lord for his word today? Can we just bless him right now? So what do we do? What do we do if, what do we do with this? What's the simple, straightforward application? Here it is. Love God. Love people. And get better every day at loving God and loving people. I don't have time and I honestly, I don't have all the knowledge to fix your relational drama. There's lifetimes of drama in here. If we, if we, did, if we did all the math, you know, we'll have six services this today. Today we'll have six services. All those people add up all their years of drama. I can't fix that. What do we do? What do we do? We love God and we love people and we get better at loving God and loving people every day. Just get a little bit better. Just get in right relationship with the Lord. What is right relationship with the Lord? It's just one step closer to Jesus every single day. Paul says in Philippians chapter two and verse three, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of your of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only 
for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This passage, Paul is not calling us to forget that we live and like it isn't self-seeking for you to buy something for yourself. It's not self-seeking to say, hey, I need some downtime away from people. That's not wrong. But Paul is saying, take, consider other people. Consider other people. So this, this is a good word from Paul to the church at Philippi there. But all it does is echoes one of the greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He was asked a question about what was most important. He said, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equal unto it, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. This is the church. This is who we're to be. What did pastor preach about today? Oh, no, it was like a relationship conflict resolution talk. No, this is the gospel. This is the mission of every Christian to do these two things. Man, I can't remember all 10 commandments. What are they? Look, if you remember these two, you will have fulfilled all 10 of the commandments. If you'll love God and you'll love people, if you love God, you'll have no other gods before him. If you obey him and you love people, you won't steal, you won't kill, you won't commit adultery, you won't commit fornication. What is fornication? You won't have sex before you're married. Honor people. Honor people. Do what God says. Honor the Lord. Honor yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're not living some life for you don't exist, you don't have tastes, you don't have hobbies. But if you take some me time, then you ought to take some time for the Lord, you ought to take some time for your neighbor. And that's what the Lord's called us to do. And I'm so thankful for it. Because I'm the recipient of God's love as his neighbor. How did he come? He became flesh, the message version says, and he moved into the neighborhood. He became my neighbor. He spoke my language. He ate my food. Oh, I don't like that food. Yeah, but he, he didn't, he ate it because it was mine. He went to the ball game with me because it was my game I was wanting to go to. Whatever it is, we're going, listen, wherever you are, the Lord has extended himself in the same manner as these passages. And he calls us to do the same for others today. Aren't you thankful for that? What a revolution that would be for Mobile and for Baldwin County and for South Haven, Mississippi, if we did this. How much peace would we have if we did this? We can try a little harder but also we can invite God to help us to do what we are not equipped to do by ourselves.
Pastor, they hurt me. They accused me. They stole from me. They slandered me. They hurt my name. They hurt my feelings. They abused me. And God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to take that heart of stone and I'm going to make it tender again. And God can do the miraculous for anybody, any person, any people group, anywhere. So why not here? Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us slash give. We'll see you next week.